Good morning, God speak. Happy Palm Sunday. Woo! Just uh, walking down the uh, Olive, uh, Mount of Olives this week, thinking about the triumphant entry with a whole bunch of pilgrims there that are checking out the Bible sites and seeing the Temple Mount. And it's Ramadan, uh, holy day for the Muslims, so we were blessed to be able to get on the Temple Mount, which was shut down for most of the part. And uh, uh, my visit, and also Ben-Gurion Airport shut down for a little bit, and it's always exciting anytime we go to Israel, but you're so safe. And hey, if you're going to go home to be with Jesus, what better place, right? <laughs> Lord, I was hanging out there in Jerusalem, you know, your stomping grounds, and you called me home. What a blessing. Hey, a couple of announcements. Uh, we want to, uh, uh, Garrett, uh, we don't have any announcements, so I'm doing it. I have no backflips. I have no water stunts. I have nothing cool, totally old school. Let's uh, pray for the offering. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your generous people that you said if you sow generously, you will reap abundantly. And so, Lord, thank you for this precious congregation that gives to your work to see the kingdom expanded. We pray that your resources would be stretched and multiplied to reach more people with the love of Jesus. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Tonight at 530, if you want to come to a prayer time, an afterglow time of worship and prayer and waiting on the Holy Spirit and being open to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, 530 night here in the sanctuary. Next Friday, we have our Good Friday service. Pastor Rob's going to be sharing at that wonderful worship. Micah's going to be bringing a heart of worship. Rob's going to bring the word of the Lord on Friday at noon right here in the sanctuary. And then Saturday night, all three Sunday services, we're having baptisms. So what a memorable time to remember, hey, I got baptized on Easter, uh, you know, it's only second to baptizing in the Jordan, which I was baptizing some people in the Jordan River. But if I had my second choice, it would be to be baptized at God speak on Easter weekend. So if that's you, you haven't been baptized, we want to encourage you to do that. And Pastor Rob was invited to come. Uh, there were some things scheduled, and then the tragic shooting happened in Nashville, and uh, Pastor Rob was able to go there. He was invited to, to minister at a wonderful rally that Sean Foyt was putting on. Check out this uh, video clip. So that was um, that was yesterday, and I got in at 1:30 this morning. So it's good to good to be with you. <laughs> yeah. Started out in uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan. We did a, a Freedom Night in America at a really wonderful church there. My, myself and John Amanchukwu, uh, Pastor John, and uh, great turnout. The folks there in Michigan. Um, 
they've got a governor uh, named Whitmer that rhymes with Hitler. Um, <laughs> and so they invited me because we have Governor Mussolini. <laughs> and then uh, I was supposed to be in Mount Pleasant, Texas uh, with Chris Burgard. And, uh, and then I got the call because we have the Kingdom to Capital tour with Sean. That's a TPUSA faith that we, we collaborate together. We sponsored it. And uh, we're, he, Sean's hitting all 50 state capitals in, I think, 20 months. Yeah. <clears throat> so um, they had already scheduled the event in Nashville. And then, of course, the shooting occurred. And um, so we turned it into a prayer vigil. And um, I went out to the, the shooting site, the location, and was there ministering. The Billy Graham counselors were there. And it was so reminiscent of what we endured here as a city in 2018. It was just, it was, um, just kind of difficult to process. Um, and the folks there just, it, it's, a, it, it's just a sad, sad time in America. Um, and they're trying to figure out how to process this because at the same time they had protesters in the Capitol. Uh, they had a um, trans day of vengeance uh, scheduled for April 1st. And, and that there's a battle going on in the soul of the country. And it's this idea that we are image bearers. Uh, it says in Genesis, we've been created in the image of God. And, and as image bearers, uh, he, created, he created the male and female. And if you throw off God, then the confusion begins. And we know who the author of confusion is. And so you have a group of people who are told that this is the way God created them and the President of the United States saying that God created you this way uh, in the confusion that you're facing. Um, and as you know, the, the shooter was um, struggling with the transgender aspect. And I, I, don't, I don't know if there were hormone treatments or anything along those lines. I do know that most of the mass murderers in, in America are either on psychotropic drugs I'd like to see Big Pharma take some responsibility for that. It's interesting that, yeah, yeah we'll do that all day, trust me. <laughs> We're all in agreement, I get it. Uh, it. It's interesting that they say that you need to do away with guns and that'll stomp it. An inanimate object, it's like saying test scores are dropping because of pencils. Um, and and, if, and if, you, if they truly believe that, if they truly believe that the instrument is is what's responsible, then why are they giving needles to drug addicts in San Francisco? It's okay, you can clap on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so uh, this, is, this, this is so confusing, and uh, Satan is the author of confusion. It's not confusing to the folks who are here. It's, it's confusing that, they, that they're, they're trying to justify this, and they get to a point where they can no longer reason, so... Um, because they cannot reason, they, they just simply say, we're not arguing anymore, we're fighting. And, and just, just be quiet and we'll silence you. Um, we have the anti-fascist group here in the Conejo who drives around picking up the um, Guardian newspaper because they don't want a competing voice. Uh, they, they don't believe in the freedom of speech. Interesting, they call themselves anti-fascist, but they act as fascists. Uh, which is really what happened in Nazi Germany. It's, it's so reminiscent. And then Orwellian, I mean, talk about George Orwell. That was supposed to be fiction. 
uh, we're living it. And um, folks, you need to be vigilant. This is a battle for the soul of the nation. And um, uh, this, is a, this is a Marxist movement. And um, it's all based on critical race theory. And, and as Christians, you, you, you want to avoid conflict. So, you, you know, oh, why do you have to talk about that? Well, because everything we hold dear is, a, is under attack. And, and we are the beacons of freedom. And you think that if you put your head in the sand and just say that love is the acceptance of sin, well, you'll just be the last one they eat. They, this, is, this, is, um, this is a war of ideology. People aren't my enemy. They're my opportunity, but their ideology is my enemy because it's, it's destroying them. It's, it's lies and deceit. And where sin abounds, grace abounds even more, but also in the days of evil, um, the, the hearts of many will grow cold and even the elect will be deceived. We're watching churches now start to cave in to this critical race theory ideology. And um, we want an awakening and a revival in America, but we don't understand that really what that entails is an embracing of truth and not afraid to face the consequences of standing for the truth. As I've said often, uh, Nazi Germany wasn't Hitler and his victims. It was Hitler and a complicit nation that all of the citizenry agreed to lie to each other. They lied to their family, they lied to their friends, they lied to everyone, their coworkers, their employees. And, and in America, we have been subject to that. And as a nation, we, we kind of failed the test. Um, we, we had this shot that was put out and most people took it not because they believed in its efficacy. Many people, you know, regret that they took the shot now as we're watching the number one cause of death in America, 65 and older, sudden death. <laughs> and, and the media is complicit in this deception and destruction of our citizenry. And yet we didn't take the shot because we believed in the efficacy. It was because we were afraid of the consequences of standing for the truth. We'd lose our job. For government workers, it was pensions over principles. And, and now we have generations looking at us to say, do you really believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free? Do, Mom, Dad, Grandma, Grandpa, do you really, truly believe that truth is worth standing for? For God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. You see... Tried to wear palms and his shirts more bamboo than palm, but <laughs> Palm Sunday is what's called the triumphal entry. And John 12, Luke 19, Matthew something, I can't remember, recall shot. I'm on three and a half hours sleep, so work with me here. But but in John 12, this triumphal entry, Jesus enters into the city and they begin to rejoice and they start to say Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're, they're welcoming his messianic uh, arrival. And they're waving palm branches where many uh, folks mistakenly think that this is the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. It's not. That occurs in the fall. This was not in the fall because the Passover would occur shortly after this. 
but they're waving palm branches. And these palm branches are symbolic of kingship, um, honoring royalty, and they're, they're welcoming him as the Messiah. But they had in their mind what they thought the Messiah was supposed to be. And everyone wants to create God in their image instead of realizing we've been created in his image. So much confusion that, as I said earlier, even the president of the United States from the White House would declare that these trans are created in the image of God. This is, this is wholly wrong and, and devastating and tragic for our nation. And so what happens is Christ comes in and they're rejoicing in his arrival because they have been suppressed by Rome and they think he's gonna deliver them from, from the oppression of Rome, Rome having its proverbial knee on the neck of the, the, the Jewish citizens, the Israelites. But Jesus doesn't deliver them from the oppression of Rome, he comes to deliver them from a greater enemy, their sin. He's come to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The wages of sin is death. He came to die in our place that we might live for his glory. If you're born once, you'll die twice. If you're born twice, you'll die once. And you don't even die. You fall asleep and awaken in the image of Christ. To be born again means to be washed of your sin, to receive the forgiveness of your sin by the sacrifice that the Messiah established over 2,000 years ago as he bled and died on the cross and was crucified for our sin, paid the penalty for our sin. Christ came to deliver us from a greater foe than Rome. He came to deliver us not from the government of Rome, but from the tyranny of ourselves. You don't come to church to improve yourself. <laughs> There's no hope in that. I'm sick of me. That's why I don't want any more of me. I want to die that Christ might live if Rob shows up, that we have problems. In me that is in my flesh, the apostle Paul wrote, the great apostle Paul, in me that is in my flesh dwells no good thing. The only good thing in any of us here today is Jesus. If you don't know the Lord, you've come because those things you don't wanna do, you're doing. Those things you wanna do, you're not doing. And no matter how hard you try, no matter how much you swear to God, you'll never do it again, you're doing it. Oh, wretched man that you are, who will deliver you from this body of death? You come to a place where there's hope. As we're watching things around us crumble, you come to a place where there's hope. When you come, you realize that you're not afraid anymore. There's nothing to be afraid of. What are they gonna do, threaten us with heaven? <laughs> we're all right, everything's okay. We're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. We look at the end times as some unstoppable juggernaut of eschatology that we can't, we can't stop it and we're hopeless. That's just not true. The Bible says in the end times, God will pour out his spirit. There's gonna be an enormous revival in the end times. I'm excited about being alive right now. If you're not, what's wrong with you? You've been appointed for such a time as this. What a joy to be alive. Don't come in here mopey. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. 
You know, this was a season in, in, in the life of the prophet where this great leader had died and the hope of, of someone who would deliver Israel politically was gone. And everyone had given up hope, but not Isaiah. He saw the Lord high and lifted up. His eyes were on the Lord, the author and finisher of his faith. In him is the fullness of joy. And, and we're going to learn a few lessons about Palm Sunday today. First of all, that nothing slips God's purview. He is in complete control. He knows the beginning from the end and all points in between. And, and Satan is not God's equal in evil. We're not overwhelmed. He's not shocked going, oh no, what do I do now? What do I do now? Now it is a fallen world and Christians suffer. And this is true. Pain is real. Pain is a realization in a fallen world that something's terribly wrong. It's a gift from God to show us that things need to be corrected. And we all hurt. We hurt for others. My heart hurt when I was in Nashville. That pastor who lost his daughter. No parent should outlive their child. But yet, even Jesus wept. It was never supposed to be like this. But even in our suffering and even in our pain, there's hope and there's purpose. It's not for nothing. We're here to serve, to set the captives free, to not be afraid of the consequences of truth. It causes us to realize that we're more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Always a triumphal entry. For many, their expectations of God caused them to walk away from him when he didn't fulfill them. But for others, it was a glorious day. One where they realized that their savior was a suffering servant who came to take away the sins of the world. He did that for me. I can't stand in front of you in my own strength or ability. One of our servants in the church came into my office and said, are you good? Asking if I needed anything, bless their heart. I said, I don't think I'm good, but I don't need anything. <laughs> and people say, how you doing? I'm doing good. No, how are you? I'm good. I don't say good anymore, I say well. The only thing good in me is Jesus. And I, I want less of me and more of him. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I want him to come and fill my life. I want him to fill me with his spirit and give me a supernatural power to accomplish a supernatural task to honor his supernatural glory. And I know that's your longing as well. I was given a gift this week and I just thought it so fitting. I won't eat it because I can't stand them, but <laughs> it's a, a, a gathering of different types of dates. <laughs> dates come from not bamboo, but palm trees. <laughs> and they're Middle Eastern delicacies. I'm from Scotland. <laughs> we don't like dates. <laughs> you can't make scotch out of dates. <laughs> But it was a very sweet gesture, and I thought how fitting for Palm Sunday. And so we will be studying that today. So if you have a Bible, please open up to John chapter 12. If you don't, these lovely folks will be walking down the aisle with Bibles. Just raise your hand, they'll give you one. Once you've gotten to um, John chapter 12, you can go ahead and stand for the reading of the word of the Lord.
For those of you who are new, you'll hear me say this thousands of more times, but we stand for the word of the Lord. We sit for the word of the teacher. One we honor, the other we tolerate. Yeah, amen. John chapter 12 is a pretty solid depiction of the triumphal entry. We find it in the other gospel accounts. And in John chapter 12, the passage reads, starting at verse 12, the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it. As it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him and that they had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, you see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. I'll tell you what I have not seen in my lifetime, which is very promising to me, a hunger for God like I'm watching now, especially with the young people across the country. There's a a hesitancy because they're looking for people who truly believe the truth and are willing to stand for it. My father, when I had come to Christ, he, he wasn't happy with that. He said, get that Jesus crap out of my house. Yeah. My mother said later, when they both had come to Christ, that your father was like that because if what you believed was true, he'd have to embrace it. And he wanted to test it. Well, that's what young people are looking at you for. Things are caught, not taught. Do you really, truly believe in the truth and are you really willing to stand for the truth regardless of the consequences? Amen. Well, the four of you and myself will get, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) No, I know how you all feel. It's going to be tested because in this season where everyone is looking for a way out, they want to make God in their image. And those who stand for God, for who he is, and to realize we're created in his image, he's not created in ours, there will be division. When Christ said, I didn't come to bring peace, though he's the prince of peace, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. There will be a conflict of ideology. And remember, peace is not the absence of conflict, it's the presence of Christ in the midst of the conflict. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You are the King of the Jews. This declaration that went out through all of Israel was that which would cause you to be crucified and mocked and above you would have that sign, King of the Jews. And yet, Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, When you came to town, there was obedience, there was worship, there was curiosity, there was cleansing, there was opposition. 
Lord, everyone will have a chance to respond and have an opinion to, to who you are. There will be critics, there will be religious leaders wanting you dead, gone, forgotten. There will be those even within the church as the elect will be deceived. There will be those who will go along with the crowd when the crowd is praising you. They will praise, but when the crowd turns upon you to yell crucify, they will also have their voices heard saying the same. Some in the crowd will be curious and ask, who is this Jesus? Lord, we have already settled that in our heart. We know who you are. You are our savior. You are my savior. You are my king. And so, Lord, please strengthen our resolve. Spirit of the living God, fill us, equip us, empower us for your glory. Strengthen us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat if you would. <clears throat> I, I do this every Palm Sunday. If you tire of it, ah, so what? But to me, it's one of the most remarkable things. And Sir Robert Anderson, and you can find his book, it's still in print. He had uh, worked for Scotland Yard as an investigator. Remarkable man. He died in 1918. He was the second assistant commissioner of crime for the London Metropolitan Police from 1888 to 1901. He also is intelligence officer, theologian, prolific writer, including writing more than 20 books on religious topics. His research was extensive and information in his books is thorough. His book, The Coming Prince, gives clear documentation of the timing and accuracy of the biblical prophecy of Daniel 9 and can be used as a strong, effective apologetic resource to prove the veracity of the Bible. It's one of the most amazing theological treatises ever done. I love revisiting it every Palm Sunday because I, I find that the scriptures themselves, the more sure word of prophecy, the best illustration for the Bible is the Bible. It, it's the only Bible that speaks beyond the space-time continuum. And, and you look at it and it's just remarkable. As of works of antiquity, nothing even remotely comes close to its veracity. Nothing. Because in... In literature, the, the way that you prove something to be true historically is by cross-referencing in original manuscripts. Uh, of works of antiquity, nothing comes remotely close to, to the, the mountains of evidence that we have to prove this historical writing of the 66 books, the canon, the rule of scripture. Sir Robert Anderson, uh, today he's best known for his book, The Coming Prince, in which he explained the prophecy of Daniel 9.24, Daniel said the Jewish Messiah would come 490 years after the commandment of Cyrus, king of Persia, to rebuild and restore Jerusalem. Anderson's calculations showed that Jesus Christ rode in Jerusalem to public acclaim, Luke 19, known as a triumphal entry on the precise day that was prophesied by Daniel. This is the book, if you ever want to find it, The Coming Prince. It's, you can still get it um, online. And Daniel 9.24, uh, this is how it reads... Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Therefore, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the street shall be built again in the wall even in troublesome times. 
So this was the prophecy. Cyrus was a remarkable man. He conquered Babylon. It was prophesied that he would conquer Babylon. As a matter of fact, when he arrived, I imagine it was Daniel who unraveled a 250-year-old scroll that had his name written in it. And that man was like, wait, what? And you could just tell by the, the weatheredness of the vellum in which he was reading that he was blown away. He became one who established religious freedom for the Jews, though he was a pagan king. Cyrus was moved by prophecy. And here Daniel is reflecting on this messianic prophecy and it speaks of weeks and 70s. 483 years were completed to the triumphal entry of Jesus. Sir Robert Anderson's significant work, again, the coming prince followed this argument in great detail. Anderson, using a 360-day year, which Israel used in Daniel's day, calculated 173,880 days from the decree to the triumphal entry, fulfilling the prophecy to the day. It's customary for the Jews to have 12 months of 360 days each and then to insert a 13th month occasionally when necessary to correct the calendar. There was only one occasion in our Lord's earthly ministry in which he depicted as presenting himself openly as Zion's king, the so-called triumphal entry, recorded in each of the gospels and fulfilling Zechariah 9.9 and Psalm 118.26. He had told others he was the Messiah, but publicly proclaiming it happened in John chapter 12 when he declared himself to all who were present to be the Messiah. Zechariah 9.9 that is referred to here by Newell reads, the coming king, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, a foal of a donkey. John 12, I mean, come on, I don't know about you, but wow. And imagine Jesus said, go into town, you know, the, the foal of a donkey that's never been ridden, tell the man that you need it, just take it. He walks up and he goes to take a guy's donkey. What are you doing? The Messiah has need of it. Oh, it's like, it's like Star Wars. These are not the drones you're looking for. These are not the drones I'm looking for. This is my colt. That's your colt. And he comes riding. And I tell you, a king riding on a, a colt of, you know, donkey, just, they're not majestic animals. They're tiny. I mean, his legs were dragging. You know, and it's just a picture in my head. I live with that brain. It just bothers me at times. And then as the psalmist writes, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. How do you calculate these days that Robert Anderson did? 476 times 365, which is our calendar, equals 173,740 days. You add 14th March to 6th April, both inclusive. 24 days add for leap years, 116 days equals 173,880 days. So the 173,880 days begins at the decree of the rebuilding of Jerusalem. When did that happen? Well, we'll see momentarily. But it was this idea that Jesus drew near the city and he wept saying, if you had known even you, especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And it was this decree in Ezra, excuse me, Nehemiah. And the clock started ticking, 173,880 days. From that moment, the clock starts ticking. So when Jesus comes in Luke 19 and he weeps over the city and he says of the city, if you had known, even you, 
especially in your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus was saying, what was in Daniel 9.24, I'm here, 173,880 days later. The decree came, I laid it out for you, I'm here. And he wept because he knew they didn't see him as the Messiah, they thought he was coming to deliver them from the boot of Rome. And he wept over the city. He wept over their ignorance. For many of us, a few weeks back when we studied the moral law, we went through the hand gestures for memorization. Do you know how vitally important that is to a civilization to flourish? And that we haven't imparted it to our children, let alone ourselves? We profess Christ with our lips, but our hearts are far from him because if you love me, Jesus says you'll obey me. Obey what? We don't even know what it is we're supposed to obey. It's the wise restraints that make us free. It points us to Christ, Galatians. And yet, we look at the condition of the church today. It's a mile wide and an inch deep. It has taken on all the characteristics of the secular music industry. Even our Christian artists, I stopped listening to Christian music when I invited a Christian band and I got their writer. If you don't know what a writer is, it's everything they demand of you if they're gonna come and play in your venue. We want lettuce, no iceberg, has to be greens. You know, we want specific bottled water, Evian or something. I just remember how stupid it was. I said, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. Just, just give me a nose harp. And a, somebody playing a washboard. You can be out of tune. The rocks will cry out and worship him. I, I, don't, I don't need your talent. And we, we, we take out all the natural light and bring in smoke. I think it looks like just a concert venue. I remember I went to a Hillsong concert. It smelled just like the Bruce Springsteen concert I went to when I was younger. It's like, is that incense? And you wonder what's different. People want to feel something, but the, 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 the feeling isn't what moves you. It's, it's your brain. It's the, it's the logos. It's the logic to be able to discern right from wrong. And, and you can't even declare the, the 10 moral commandments that, that establish and strengthen and, and solidify a culture. And so the Lord returns to his own and, and they don't recognize him. They don't understand what it means to be an image bearer. Instead, the, the shepherds of, of, the, of the bride, the body of Christ, begin to embrace the culture of the world in order to acclimate. We're, we're a peculiar people. They, 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 they dis, if they despised him, they're going to despise us. If they persecute him, they're going to persecute us. We're not supposed to get along with the world. It's not that we don't have to be contrary, but the realization, I mean, you don't have to be rude you be civil, but, but you, you don't bend. You don't acclimate. You don't camouflage. You don't hide. They want to know, just like kids do, when, when, when you give a child a rule, don't touch the wet paint.
What are they saying? Are the boundaries you've established strong enough to protect me? Will there be consequences? Why do, why do parents punish? The wages of sin is death. The laws of nature and nature is God. You step outside, there's pain. You're gonna get a little pain if you break the rule because ultimately, if you don't listen to me and you do that when you're an adult, you will suffer. Honor your mother and father. The only commandment that comes with a promise, you'll live long on the earth in which the, the land in which I give you. That land will be established. If you, can, if you can obey and honor earthly parents, you'll have no problems with a boss or a king, a savior. And that doesn't mean that we're to submit to our parents and honor our parents in the sense that they tell us to do something outside the will of God. Don't confuse that. That's like saying, wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Any husband who says to his wife, wife, submit, is a weak husband. Now, I probably insulted some of you. I have that gift. <laughs> That's a willing submission. There's no man on the earth worthy of the submission of a woman. But the Lord isn't saying submit to the man. The Lord is saying submit to me in submitting to the man. Well, you can submit to the Lord because he is perfect. It doesn't mean you submit to the point where he's commanding you to do something outside the will of God. No, no, that's not the point. The point is there's a structure of society that as you look at Ephesians 5 and 6, submitting to one another in the fear of God, so God is the top. Uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. He laid down his life. Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Children, obey your parents. Now, granted, we've screwed it up because we say that women can become men and men can become women, but the biological DNA doesn't change and it just makes people weird and you pump them full of hormone stoppers and chemical castration, which is so inhumane, we don't even give it to serial rapists in prison. But here in California, oh, give it to our kids and don't let the parents know. This is insane. And yes, I'm saying it. And what's gonna happen? Death threats, they're gonna come after, I don't care. I don't care because that's the truth. If you don't like it and you want to fight it, that's, that's your prerogative. And in the building block of society, there's God, this umbrella, and then there's the husband who's physically, I don't care what you're reading, physically he's stronger. It, it, I was 13 years old as a swimmer in the United States of America and there wasn't a woman on the planet who could swim faster than me. No, no I'm not bragging, I'm just saying my biggest bummer was and when I got to college, the same event that the one guy who says he's a woman swam was what I swam. I could have been an NC2A champion if I just put on a woman's suit. Kidding. I thought it, I thought it'd be funnier, <laughs> but the realization is, is, is men have the physical ability to defend, protect, you know, a man who doesn't protect his family is less than an infidel. Now I'm going to tell you right now, you, you believe in gun control. Okay. They're going to come to your house, attack your family. Oh, this is a gun-free zone. The President of the United States is covered by Secret Service. 
Speaker of the House. Elected officials have bodyguards. All our famous actors and actresses have bodyguards. They surrounded the Capitol with fences and the National Guard. And what do we get at our schools? This is a gun-free zone. Come on in. Come on in. They don't have this problem in Israel. Everybody's armed there. You come in, you'll get a high-speed lead infusion to your cranium. <laughs> now, you're asking if I'm packing right now. I, I'm not. I oftentimes have thought of getting a Glock for the flock, but I... I... <laughs> there's three levels of security here that uh, there's folks around ready to take care of things. You come into my house, however, that's a different story. If you're not welcome, you will be greeted with a wall of lead. And I mean that. You come to harm my family, you will die. I won't, I won't even wound you because I have been called to protect my family. I am the steward of their lives. A man who doesn't provide for his family, even the security, is less than an infidel. Their education, their security, their provision. I'm a provider and a protector for my family. If that's insulting, what are you going to do? Come in. Here's my wife. Here's my kids. Have at it. I'm not going to subject them to indoctrination. I'm not going to subject them to abuse. I'm going to be vigilant over their lives. I won't helicopter them, allow them to experience failure. I'm not gonna give them a trophy for every little thing they do and participate and here's a big giant trophy. No, no, you're gonna learn that if you don't put the effort in, you don't obtain anything. I'm gonna show them that there's consequences to their actions. You know why? Because I love them. I love them. And again, as I said before, the old Danish proverb, you give to a child when it cries or a pig when it oinks. You'll end up with a fine pig, but a rotten child. We're called to raise the children. And here you see this picture of this triumphal entry, Christ coming and the world looking and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But Christ weeps over the city because they didn't understand what it was they were saying. When he rode in and they were waving those palm branches and I received this present of the dates, I was moved by that. It made me think about us as believers. I, I, you see those, those palm fronds in the, in the picture there. This is what they were waving. And they, they weren't queen palms. They weren't Mexican fan palms. They were date palms. Date palms are remarkable trees. I, I spend time in Arizona and we have a place there. I'm not moving there. It's the only place I could afford. Uh, not in California, you see. Okay, all right. <laughs> but but th there's some palm trees there, and it had been neglected. We bought a dilapidated house in a decent neighborhood, and, and I'm looking, and I, I love, I just absolutely love date palms. They're majestic. You look at a, a, a Barkova coin, which is the last printed coin uh, of the temple before the Romans destroyed it and took it over, 
And, and many Jews wear this. It's a symbol of, it's like the Alamo. It's the, it's the last vestige of land they held before the Romans wiped it out. And then it didn't happen until the 40s that Israel was a nation again. And they, they even go up on, on um, uh, that area um, in the Dead Sea where Herod built the, yeah, thank Masada. Yeah, man. But on Masada, all the IDF forces, Israeli defense forces, go up there and they say, and, and when, from the top of Masada, you can look and see all the in, uh, embankments of the Roman legion where they built their fortresses. And you can see the embankment leading up to Masada where they, they raided this impregnable fortress. And the Jews bring the IDF soldiers up and they say, this happened once, it will never happen again. Protect the land. It's their Alamo. Their Alamo. And to declare the majestic nature and the authority of that, this, this Barkova coin has a date palm frond in it. It, 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 meant, it meant something significant to the Jews. These, these branches that they were waving, like I said, were not Mexican fan palms. They weren't queen palms. They, they, they were these beautiful, majestic date palms. Psalm 92, the righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. Just listen to this. It's powerful. In old age. I mean, they say a pastor reaches 15 years down and 15 years up. That's my range. So you look around the church and we got a lot of gray hair. There's a couple of younger folks, but even 15 years from 58 is, you know, a couple of parents bringing their kids. The kids are like, that guy's old. So, you know, I got to struggle at 58 to try to get a diversity of ages. But I have to tell you, the older I get, the stronger I feel. Now, granted, physically, some parts are falling off. <laughs> but, but, but I can see clearly now the finish line. And there's, there's nothing hindering me from that which I've been called to do. And so they still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Well, what a powerful, powerful depiction of the believer. The older you get, the stronger you become, the younger you look. I mean, Sarah, when she was old, still was stunning. She went into Egypt. They understood makeup in Egypt. They went in. She was the most beautiful woman in Egypt because there's nothing, there's nothing prettier than a, than a, a, godly, Christ, a godly woman because she, she, from the inside out, she radiates. Now, the world knows how to, you know, bondo and spackle and paint the exterior. And, and, <laughs> and that's not to say, you know, makeup's bad. Chuck Smith used to say, look, if the barn needs painting, paint it. But I'm, I'm saying, I didn't say that. Chuck did. And he's with the Lord. He made it. And, and in spite of what he said, <laughs> I better just go home. Uh, it's problematic. But, but the real beauty is the inner, inner beauty of the heart, the, 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 the quiet and gentle spirit, which is precious in the sight of the Lord. And that, that's, this, that's the, 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 depicted by this palm tree. And you go, why a palm tree? Fascinating. It'll blow you away. In ancient Rome, the palm fronds used in triumphal processions to symbolize victory were most likely those of the, that's a Roman, it's date palm. <laughs> the date palm was popular garden plant in Roman peristyle gardens, though it would not bear fruit in the more temperate climate of Italy. 
It is recognizable in frescoes from Pompeii and elsewhere in Italy, including a garden scene from the house of the wedding of Alexander. In later times, traders spread dates around Southwest Asia, Northern Africa, and Spain. Dates were introduced into California by the Spaniards in 1769, existing by then around the mission San Diego de Acala. I remember them telling me this when we did the mission trips. And, and I was born and raised in Coronado, and we went to San Diego de Acala, and they're like, these have been here since the 70s. You're like, no, they, they, those hadn't been there, but there have been date palms in this mission since that time. They were really heavily introduced into the United States uh, and Arizona and the desert region of California uh, in, in the 1920s, and there were uh, American Indians, Southwest American Indians, that cared for these plants, and, and these trees, and they became just remarkable. And as you go through the desert region of California and you see the, the date farms and Hadley Ranch and all the things there, they're, they're beautiful. They're just stately and magnificent. And underneath them, they, in the shade, in the unbelievable desert heat, they plant grapefruit trees underneath the date palms so they get just enough sun in the, these, these Indian River Pink grapefruits, you cut into them, they're so sweet, they choke a hummingbird. They're just, everything's just beautiful, and they just flourish in the desert, and they look so regal. You know, you, you see some of the Mexican fan palms, they're kind of cool, but they grow so tall, and then you clip them, and they look all sad. But you, you look at the regal nature of a date palm, and it just takes your breath away, and when they're lined in the entrance of, of, of you know, an estate, you just, ah, oh, it's, it's like Italian cypress trees, but in the desert, even more so. Italian cypress don't produce fruit. These produce a remarkable fruit. As a matter of fact, when they said a land flowing with milk and honey, the Hebrew word for honey wasn't honey, it was date palm paste. I mean, it's just filled with sugar, such an exciting thing. I don't like them, though. <laughs> One cultivar, the Judea date palm, is renowned for its long-lived orthodox seed, which successfully sprouted after accidental storage for 2,000 years. In total, seven seeds, about 2,000 years old, have sprouted and turned into trees named Methuselah, <laughs> Hannah, Adam, Judith, and Boaz, Jonah, and Uriel. The upper survival time of properly stored seeds remains unknown. That's a pretty cool tree. There's always hope for you to sprout. You're not too old to sprout and produce fruit. Did you know that there are some 2,780 different varieties of palm trees all over our world? So which one of these varieties did people of God look up to from all that we can discover through the images they used, from the stories they shared, and from other sources? It was the date palm. While other plants could not withstand the arid and harsh environment of the Middle East, the date palm was able to not only survive but thrive. The date palm provided food, shelter, comfort. It was argued that it took only one single date palm tree to meet all the necessary needs of a Jewish man, woman, boy, or girl. It had all the nutrients. Date palm trees are unique in many different ways, and one of those being the way it grows. And this is fascinating because it, it relates to us as believers. Pay attention. One of those being the way it grows, where its heart is located, not a beating heart, the inner portion of the tree itself. The date palm grows out from its center. It grows from the inside out. Have you ever seen what happens when someone puts a wire around an oak tree 
Sometimes this is done when an individual wants to put up a wire fence or a clothesline, and over a period of time, that oak tree, tree's bark will grow over the wire and envelop it like it's eating it. The oak tree will, in effect, envelop the wire in a matter of years. It looks like the wire is growing out of the tree. The palm tree is vastly different. It grows from the inside out. If you were to put a wire around a date palm tree, something far different would happen. Instead, the wire becoming part of the tree, the tree would actually grow and expand until it broke the wire. It just stays strong, just goes, bing! Just like that. It does it just like that. I mean, look how beautiful date palms are. People of God should be like the date palm. What do you mean? Well, we want to be living and growing on the inside. They knew that their physical bodies would mature, age, and eventually die and go back to the earth, but they also knew their spirits or souls could enjoy everlasting life. They knew that one day they could experience a resurrection, enjoy life on a new heaven and new earth. We're being renewed day by day. And you know what? Physically, I get older, but spiritually, I get stronger. Uh, this is perishing. It's fading away. It's, it's one of the reasons why the, the, the temple of booze, Sukkot, they would take green palm leaves and build temporary shelters. And Jesus tabernacled with us. And it's, it's this picture in the fall. And the reason why they use green leaves is because they were green when they were harvested, but they're going to fade and wither. This is a, this is a temporary dwelling place. I, I, I don't live here. I'm just passing through. And, and I'll tell you what, you grow stronger the more you realize that. You, you have a loose hold on the things of this world. I do a lot of traveling and I stay in hotel rooms. I remember uh, yesterday evening or the night before, I woke up, I didn't know where I was. I'm like, what city am I in? <laughs> I, I really didn't know where I was. I was very confused. And, it, and I just realized, I hate hotels. I just, it's not my home. And it's, it's kind of like if, if you hold on to this earth too tight, it's like traveling to different hotels and bringing all of your junk with you and setting up, putting your paintings on the wall and bringing your priceless artifacts into the hotel room. People look at you like, you're an idiot. This is a temporary dwelling place. Well, listen, as believers, all of us need to understand this is a temporary dwelling place. And, and the reason why we grow strong is even though our outward man is perishing, inwardly, we grow stronger day by day. I, I, I just, the older I get, the more I realize how anti-fragile I am. You've heard me use that term, fragile, is you're afraid to break something. You know, we have beautiful pieces that my parents gave me. Um, there's one, this vase, that stunning, worth a fortune. I, I inherited it. It took me two months before the kids broke it. I was thankful. It's like, don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> and I glued it. I'm like, my parents gave me this. Now I can't resell it. And all you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe you. Hey, it's all going to burn anyways. Get over it. Some of you don't understand that. I mean, there's one thing to honor antiquity and to see the value of it. But to cherish it more than those around you whose souls are facing eternity? What is it that you worship? It's what you spend your time, treasures, and talents doing. Are you, in, are you going out to polish all your idols in your car collection? I know that hits on some guys. 
what I'm saying is you're not taking it with you. And the ones around you, the only thing going to heaven is people. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. Don't forget why you're here and who's important. Spend time doing stuff with the kids. This is how you start to view the world. That's how you, get, you grow from the inside out. And again, though the outer man is perishing, inwardly you're growing stronger. And that's what's so beautiful about a Christian who's aging. You don't look in the mirror and go, man, you're a wreck. No, you look at your hair and you go, you're wise. Because gray hair is a symbol of wisdom. Not for everybody, because some of you just got gray hair and you're dumb as a box of rocks. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you take that agedness and you apply it, then all of a sudden your experience will present itself in wisdom. Because you see things through the eyes of the Lord and his reality. And that's what makes you grow from the inside out and grow stronger as you grow older. And you become majestic the older you are. Date palms live to be over 100 years old. It's fascinating. They have this unique root system. They have roots that go deep into the soil and can take and absorb the smallest water sources. Many date palms are able to grow 80 to 100 feet tall, and yet they live in the sand and the desert-like environments. How do they do it? They do it by reaching down deep. They do it by sending out a root system that's able to search out the smallest drops of water while at the same time establishing a strong and stable foundation. Do you spend time in the word of God, the living water? You want to grow strong and tall, and though you wither, you don't fade. The older you get, the stronger you are. You got to have a good root system. Spend time in the Word. A man or a woman whose Bible is falling apart is a sign that their life isn't. Do you love God's Word? Do you spend time in it? I, I can tell you right now, if you're having struggles and your walk is troubled, I can ask you one question. I already know the answer. Are you in the word? No. I had a friend call me and, and said, look, I'm struggling. I, 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 had, I struggle over PTSD and this guy was coming into my personal space. I said, look, back away. I, 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 I'm not in the mood. You keep doing this. You're, you're going to there's going to be constant. Just stop it. Don't come into my personal space. And they kept doing it. Boom. Just snapped. Beat him up. I said to him, how are you doing on your walk with the Lord? You reading? No. I said, why don't you go put on some worship music? Open up the Psalms and the Proverbs. Get some praise and some wisdom going. I said, you were telling that individual to back away while the entire time the Lord is calling you to come closer. Had you listened to the Lord, that guy wouldn't have been a problem to you. From the overflow of a man's heart comes his words. You're in a desert environment. You want to live off of my sustenance? You want me to blow sunshine your way? You can read the Bible just as well as I can. If this is the only feeding you're getting... As, as, a, as a tree of righteousness planted to the glory of the Lord, is this the only feeding you're getting, the only water you're getting? Your, your, your roots are really problematic. You should be watering that tree of righteousness every day, morning and evening. 
Spend time in the word of God. It's, it's the water of life. Let those roots grow deep. They're intertwined, interestingly enough, like your family starts to, see the water's telling me. They're intertwined. A family starts, children watch you reading. and It becomes their habit as well. And then you just see this majestic nature and the fruit starts to develop. In a like manner, we are to make sure that we are, that we too are deeply connected to our source of living water and that we build on a stable foundation. We too live in a desert. All one has to do is to read social media, watch TV, or go to a movie, and you know that there is a great deal of spiritual wasteland all around us. In other words, there's a great lack of holiness out there in our world. You can find holiness, but you can... But you have to be searching for it, reaching out for it, ready to absorb each and every little drop. You know, the world wants to have you mold and do its image. And, and think about it. Do you spend more time in front of the idiot box in the corner of your living room, that window into hell? Or, or do you spend time in the word? What goes in is what comes out. You want to produce fruit? Sweet, precious, sustaining Get those roots deep into the living water of God's word. And then I'll close with this. I love this part, the sweetness of the date palm. As I look out at people with my hair color. Palm trees are evergreens and as such they have been created to stay green, growing and fresh. They have also been designed so that the more mature they get, the better fruit they provide. Starting around the age of seven and going on to the age of around 90 to 100, palm trees are able to give their best fruit. Each year, they can provide up to 200 to 250 pounds of fruit per tree. Some palms have even been reported to being able to give fruit past 125 to 150 years of age and older. It was not merely their longevity that attracted the ancients to the palms. It was also their ability to grow sweeter and sweeter fruit as they aged. Some people say old people get crotchety. I was on a panel on Flashpoint with Rick Green, and he was, before we went on the air, he, the four of us were bantering, and he's, he's always jabbing me. And he started jabbing Gene Bailey, the host of the Flashpoint program. And then we did the program, and we finished, and I turned, and he's still doing his little shtick, and I go, I go, Rick, I, a question for you. Did you take contrary pills today? <laughs> and everybody laughed. You know, you get old and you want everyone to know what's bugging you. And I tell you what, the thing on this side is really rotten and I don't understand why to stop. <laughs> I saw a man, this, this, this moved me. I was over at Burbank at the JSX place. And I was going over to Phoenix Riddled, riddled with cancer, frail. And he had, he had his wife's bags. I didn't even know he could lift them. He had a smile that was so toothy and large that it just took away the frailty of his body. <laughs> How you doing, young man? And I'm looking at him thinking, that guy is is a click or two from eternity. And the joy of the Lord, he's got a big cross on his neck. I go, is that jewelry or you believe? Oh, I love Jesus. He loves me. And it makes life worth living on this side of the grass. (laughs) 
I remember Don McClure used to share the story when he had a stroke and he lost vision in his eye. And then he had the lower lobe of his lung removed and he, he had a passage out of the book of Acts where the apostle Paul said, I don't count my life dear to myself. And he just remembered reading that and thinking, this is so profound. God, I don't count my life dear to myself. Take it if you need to. And then as he lost the, the sight in his eye and his capacity of his lung, he just said, Lord, I, I said, take my life. I didn't say take it piece by piece. <laughs> And he was complaining to the Lord, and he shared this with us. He was complaining to the Lord. He just said, you know, Lord, I, I, I can't see. Why are you doing this? And he didn't get an answer. Why would you take part of my... Didn't get an answer. And he thought, I got questions for God when I get to heaven. And then he thought to himself, well, when he gets there, he's going to say, I got some questions for the Lord. He said, go on over to that room. And he goes in there, and there's Isaiah as... It says that he was sawn asunder. He was cut in half. He's beside himself going, what's your problem, Don? What do you want to complain about? And there's John the Baptist holding his head going, what's your problem, Don? Thought you'd get that. Temporary suffer, suffering, eternal glory. Look, it, growing old is not for the faint-hearted, but it's also not for the complainer. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You're growing from the inside out. The outer man's failing, but listen, you should get sweeter and sweeter with age. My dad, I, every time I talk about him, I get choked up. My dad was the longest living resident in the home he was in. My mom had passed. He outlived my mother by, gosh, almost 10 years. My mom said, I'll never put your father in a home. And that was a Saturday I went to visit her. She said, I'll never do it. I said, I understand, mom. And I'm the youngest. And my, one of my sisters was in charge of my mom's health directives. The other was in charge of her financial directives. I, I wasn't in charge of anything. And that, I was okay with that. And she told me, I will never put your father in a home. I said, I got you, mom. I went home, did the Sunday service, called mom to see how she was doing. She said, I put your father in a home today. I said, all right. Yeah, he almost burned the house down. I said, I understand. And I said, mom, the two shall become one flesh. It doesn't matter what my siblings or whatever I think, you're, you're the one who stands before the Lord. And, and if this is what's best for dad, that's, that's between you and the Lord. And I, I stand with you. He, he, no one had more visitors than my father. My mother went there twice a day, sat with him. And when she took him to the home, he looked at her through the gate and he says, I guess it's come to this. And she said, yes, Roy. And he says, okay. Okay. We go and visit him. When he passed, all the nurses and the doctors from the home came to his funeral, which is a rarity. I've done a lot of funerals. I, you don't see folks from the home come. They said, we gave him a nickname. The name was Captain Love. He'd walk into the room of a dying patient and he walked like this. His hand would always do this. And he'd walk in and he'd stand there with the grieving family by the bedside of someone who was 
just ticks away from eternity. He didn't speak. He reached in his pocket and put that on the body of the one dying. And there were M&Ms. He'd walk out. He'd come in, he'd give somebody a hug and put M&Ms. I don't know, he never liked them. I don't know where he got that idea. <laughs> they couldn't contain themselves when they talked about him. He just got sweeter. He had the disposition of a government mule. He just, he looked so frail and sickly and I went to go visit him. I thought he was dying and I just said, I said my goodbyes to him. And I came back to my sister's house and my wife showed up later and she said, let's go see your dad. I go, no, I already said goodbye. He's probably dead by now. She says, I want to go. I said, I already said goodbye. I was like frustrated with Michelle. I said, I can't do that again. She said, no, come on. I said, all right, he, he's going to be dead. We drove down there and went into his room. He's not there. I said, he's dead. I said, no, he's in the, he's in the uh, dining hall. I'm like, what? I went in there, he's eating pudding. And he's like, it, he just curled up. He was just on the, the verge of eternity. And then he just, oh, pudding. You know, it's like. That's sweet. I love sweet. I love to be sweet and I love to eat sweet. My dad is today giving you a really good illustration, Christian. Get sweeter the older you get. Don't get crotchety and bitter. These young folks are in desperate need of an example. Young people, regardless of our ability to succeed, or if we fail you, that doesn't take away your responsibility. I didn't have Christian examples. My dad was later in life, but look, if you don't have parents that model this, you don't get to pick the parents you get in this world, but you can pick the kind of parent you're gonna be. So quit making excuses and blaming others. Just roll your sleeves up. We're trees of righteousness planted for the glory of the Lord. We grow from the inside out, and the older we get, the sweeter we are. That's the joy of the Lord. And this is Palm Sunday, triumphal entry. Let the Lord take the throne of your life. Let those roots grow deep and let that fruit become sweet and let the world realize how majestic our Savior is. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Let's have the worship team come on up. I, um, I, I want to take a minute, as Mike and the, the group's coming up, I want to take a minute, and I, I do this often, but not often enough. I am so unbelievably grateful to the staff. Um, I, I could go on all day about them. I, I can do what I do because they do what they do. But it boils down to the leadership of, of Pastor Rick. I'm so grateful for you, Rick. I want them to all know that, and Tammy too. Uh, this is my 22nd anniversary as a pastor of the church. Uh, yesterday was, April Fool's Day. And I plan on 22 more. And I'm going to get sweeter. 
Just kidding. I'm ready for a drink with an umbrella on the beach somewhere. Let's stand. No, I'm kidding. Let's stand and worship the Lord. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. God bless you all.